This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It is the wee hours of the morning here on a Sunday, right around 3.30 a.m. as we sit down to record this podcast. We spent a long night in Beaver Stadium, left there a bit after 2 o'clock. We sorted some things out on the site. We have a bunch of content over at Lions247.com. If you're just waking up or if you're just going to bed, uh, be sure to check out the site. A lot of articles. Mark Brennan's report card is already up. Uh, and this podcast will be among probably a dozen options you've got to look at from post-game coverage on Sunday and then a world of recruiting uh, coverage coming your way from Tyler Calvaruso. Steve Wolfong already has a big uh, story on a lot of reaction coming from the prospects who were in Beaver Stadium. And needless to say, uh, they were pretty impressed by what they saw on Saturday night. So this has all happened. It's been a late Saturday, early Sunday morning, and the Iowa Hawkeyes are still searching for their first points of this weekend. It was a 31 nothing shot. Shut out, folks, of the number 24 Iowa Hawkeyes. We happen to be sitting next to our friend David Eichel during this matchup. And you heard from David uh, this week. He's the Iowa beat reporter for us at 24-7 Sports. And they're entering a, a, a level of ineptitude on their offensive end with their offensive coordinator, who happens to be the son of their head coach. And they go back to Iowa City with a mess. And, and God bless David. He's got some work to do with his message board and, and that beat right now. But this situation here in Happy Valley, Daniel, the vibes are very good. We'll talk about some extra motivation that we picked up on in the postgame. But this matchup, 76 total yards allowed by the Nittany Lions, who have about 400 total yards themselves. Iowa had four turnovers. They also had four first downs. Where do you start? What a what a just it's an ass kicking. I'm sorry, kids. It's an ass kicking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's almost 3:30 in the morning here on a Sunday. You know, I got to Beaver Stadium, I, I think around four. Uh, so we had we had I think I was there for almost 11 hours, but we're still leaving in better shape than Iowa is uh, than mm. Iowa was leaving the stadium. I mean, I, I yeah, I think that that was probably one of the more thorough beatdowns. Uh, that I've seen, you know, at, at pretty much any level um, above high school, you know, a couple of years on college beats, a couple of years on professional beats, um, you know, just kind of you know, watching a lot of football, seeing a lot of things, you know, this was just very thorough. It was suffocating. I mean, I was really, you know, diving deep into the, the thesaurus to try to think of different ways to describe this and, <clears throat> and different synonyms for beat down. Um, 
But I think that I got, Penn... pound, I got pounds on the graphic below <laughs> us here on YouTube. I don't know if you can see that. Pounds, yeah, I, uh, Iowa. I, I tweeted out that uh, Penn State throttled Iowa. That's one of my favorites, uh, and I that one was still left uh, in the quiver when when I got home tonight. But you know, I, I think that Penn State really came out and established themselves tonight. Obviously, there were some other bigger games going on in the same window uh, that maybe you know from a more national perspective, people might have been paying more attention to but I do feel like that with this type of performance on this type of stage that Penn State was really able to announce itself uh, and and really show nationally what they're capable of doing I asked Adiza Isaac after this matchup what he felt like the, the statement that that his defense was able to put out there on a national stage in this setting it was the first time that CBS had come to Beaver Stadium in about three decades. It'll be something that happens more often, fortunately, moving ahead because of the new contract agreements. But with Adiza, he just said, it shouldn't be a secret at this point, but this is a dominant defense. And I think we have all been talking about this here on the Penn State beat. Those of us who have been around the team all year, those of us coming out of the Rose Bowl last year have said, look, Manny Diaz is around for a year too. He's got the horses and they have that ability to be elite. And to this point, They've checked all the boxes in those first three games at 3-0, and but you look at West Virginia, they were certainly limited offensively. Uh, and we had respect for their quarterback. You look at the next week, it's it's an FBS opponent in Delaware. It's hard to glean too much from that kind of a matchup. And then the next week, they go to Illinois on the road, and it's a team that wanted to kind of you know do it over again and, and run the ball at them, and they didn't allow it. They held Illinois under 80 rushing yards. They forced five turnovers. And then Iowa, you thought, okay, well, well what is this going to look like? Iowa, if we know one thing about them, they're going to you know, play it close to the vest. They're not going to put themselves in a lot of exposed spot to turn the ball over. And all of a sudden, you come away with four takeaways. One of them's on special teams. But this defense now, Daniel, is on a roll. And, and I, it's fair to call them elite when it's no longer a projection. And what they put out there today, again, four takeaways for this Penn State team, three of them by the defense, and four first downs allowed i think they had two first downs through the first three quarters going into the fourth quarter iowa had more turnovers than first downs that's where this defense is right now yeah and we can have a lot of fun with this box score uh based on what penn state was able to do over the course of the night and also the way the reserve uh were able to also you know keep things very tight um, you know, in the fourth quarter, but you know, we'll get to some other things that deny Dennis Sutton said in a little bit, I think, but he had a very kind of telling quote about this game tonight. Um, he said, I think we were just out physicaling them. I think Iowa bases their whole persona on being the most physical and disciplined team, but I think we just out physicaled them. I think over the course of James Franklin's tenure at Penn state, you know, they, I don't really think that lions have really had the reputation of being a, a physical team of being kind of the, the bad guys on the block, the bullies. Um, especially when you think back to that 2021 season where they went out to Iowa city, they got beat up, they come back two weeks later and just get run over uh, by Illinois. I, I think I saw in the, the game notes after, after, after the game tonight that however many yards uh, Iowa threw for, it was the fewest Penn state had given up since that Illinois game. Well, we know we know why Illinois uh, didn't have didn't have many uh, passing guards in that game two years ago. So I, I think that Penn State has really been able to transform the identity a little bit. Obviously, the the bigger tests there are waiting. You know, Ohio State, and then later in November against Michigan. Then you're really going to know how physical you are. 
But I think for Penn State to have that mindset going in that they want to be the aggressor, they want to set the tone physically, um, you know, they don't want to get punched in the mouth, they want to deliver the first punch. Um, I think that that's maybe something a little bit different. And I think that that's kind of an identity that is starting to develop, especially when you factor in uh, the way that the running game has been kind of grinding things out, you know, what they did against Illinois, how their running game has looked a little bit. Um, you know, I think you're starting to see a bit of an identity for this team. And I don't think it's necessarily what we thought it was going to be coming into the year, but it's gotten them to 4-0. It got them to a really impressive victory. So I think it's got them in a good spot. We'll talk more about this defense and, and why they took this game particularly personally. And, and, and I don't think it's that much of a surprise that, that 2021 matchup had something to do with it. But speaking of identity, I mean, this is a a ball control conservative type offense at this point. It is uh, it is it is short to intermediate routes. I mean, that's what we talked about early in the season. That's become the hallmark of this team so far. It's essentially Drew Aller playing darts six to eight yards down the field. And Iowa was very good uh, for the most part today at making open field tackles, one-on-one situations. You got to give them credit. The Hawkeyes defense came to play and they, they were not allowing the Nittany Lions to get explosive plays downfield via missed tackles. But I, I just think it's really impressive how even when the ground game you know, it continues to take a couple quarters to get going. That attrition, I think, is wearing down teams. You're seeing the second half, this team run the football with more authority. Each of these games now in Big Ten play, I think that will continue because of what they're able to do up front. When you can bring a guy like Vega Ioane and it's the sixth man, yeah, that's helpful. If you watch him play football right now, folks, the, watch, the way he's pulling at guard at 350 pounds, he looks like a, almost a massively jumboed out fullback. I mean, this guy is really impressive what he's doing in this kind of a role. He played a lot on the right side today. Salim Wormley went to the sideline for a bit. He stuck around there. J.B. Nelson was back providing that nastiness that James Franklin wants. But I also think just to note here, and I'll throw it to you on offense in a second, Olu Fashnu to me, look the part tonight i i think i think there you know we, we didn't see much of him early in the season he played 50 percent of the snaps cumulatively between that opener and the delaware matchup last year on the road against illinois i think all that offensive line you know probably took some bumps and bruises along the way figuratively and literally so it was hard to really come out of that and, and say that you know someone was an absolute rock star i thought tonight olu fashion was an absolute rock star and he prevented this thing from ever really going awry in the pocket for, for drew aller he, he contributed to that one sack one sack given up during a 4-0 start that is one third of this regular season one sack zero turnovers by an offense that has probably featured seven to eight offensive linemen with consistency for these four games hasn't really found its groove at the wide receiver position yet is still really trying to get revved up at running back and has a first year starting quarterback behind center yeah, it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of different pieces right now. But yeah, I, I think that the pass protection, the the marriage between the pass protection and, and Drew Aller's ability to navigate the pocket, I, I think is a very, very dangerous combination for defenses. You know, the fact that you're giving Drew Aller time and then, you know, coupled with the fact that he's got his eyes downfield, he's looking for guys um, to get open and he's usually going to make either the right decision or or the safest decision. Um, I think that that has really helped the offense stay on schedule. And yeah, I think when we go back to watch this, I think the the offensive line and Olu are definitely something that um, I'm going to keep an eye on. Um, I'm also really curious to watch back. Speaking of wide receivers, you know, looking at Keandre Lambert Smith, um, I got a text from someone tonight who watches a lot of football and 
you know, he said that he felt that Keandre Lambert Smith really cooked Cooper DeJean out there. And we know that uh, that Iowa defensive back is regarded as one of the best in the nation. So yeah. I'm really curious to, to look back at that. Um, and then, you know, kind of filtering out the rest of that room and figuring what is going on. But, you know, I think that you're over these past couple of games, you've really seen the, you know, the full breadth of what Penn State can go to. You know, we saw a big game from the tight ends tonight. You know, we saw three touchdown passes to the tight ends. Uh, and then Theo Johnson, I believe, had six catches. Uh, for his most productive night of the year, uh, you know, at least catch wise. Um, So I I think Penn State can beat you in a couple different ways. You know, they can come in with different game plans, depending on what you're going to throw at them as a defense. And they have enough, uh, you know, enough options, enough players, enough playmakers that, you know, any type of game you want to throw at them, they can adapt, they can move things around and they can try to make things happen. Did we mention that this was a really interesting stat sheet and box score uh, post game? Drew Aller, how about this stat line? 25 of 37, four touchdowns. How many yards do you think he got? 166. <laughs> if I give you that stat line, 25, 37, four touchdowns, you're probably thinking, oh, he, how, how far over 300 yards was he? He was at 166 yards tonight, almost 70% completion. Good to see him bounce back from, from dipping under 50% on the road against Illinois, who, again, uh, led by John Newton in the middle of that defense. We're probably not going to see many defensive lines play that well against this Penn State team as we did on the road last Saturday. In this particular clay, in this particular case, I thought – with, with Aller, uh, there were a couple passes where whether it was miscommunication or it was just a mistake on his part, they were up there for grabs. I mean, if, if an Iowa defender had been at the right spot at the right time, maybe momentum could have been shifted. It didn't happen. And again, to make it unscathed now through 14 different college appearances, four of them being a start, uh, it's just really impressive that he has not thrown any kind of interception. He has not fumbled the ball. Um, and, and again, this goes to probably the fact that he's been fairly well protected, but I think what stands out to me is his sense for the game. He has the peripheral feel for where the pocket is shifting, where it's closing on him, and, and whether that's from the left, the right, in front of him, behind him, and he reacts accordingly. And I think James Franklin referenced this tonight in his post-game comments is the throwaways that he's done. Some of them are out of bounds. They'll chuck it into the stands, essentially. Uh, throw a bomb to Tank Smith. I think that was a couple <laughs> weeks ago to the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Or uh, he'll he'll just find an area where there's a little there's some space, and you can pretty much throw a long extended spike of the football where you're not getting called for a penalty for it because there's someone in the vicinity. And I think that's really impressive to to start to get that that Drew Aller has a feel for this football game. When I was moving as fast as they are, they're bringing what they bring from a personnel and schematic standpoint on that side of the football. He talked about it all week. Did Drew? He, he had a lot of respect for them. You know, even as a kid, he remembered Iowa being that that punishing defense that just frustrates you as a quarterback. And I'm sure he experienced a lot of that firsthand, but he comes out of it relatively unscathed, doesn't put up the firework numbers, but those four touchdowns will work just fine. That matched his entire touchdown total from the first three weeks. And more impressive than anything, he is avoiding the mistake and the kind of catastrophic issue that would give an Iowa Hawkeyes team any sense of a pulse or breath of life in this game. He never served it up for them, and they were toast. Yeah, I, I think when you talk about Drew Aller uh, avoiding mistakes, the, the one play that pops out to me is he threw that absolute rope across the middle uh, to Theo Johnson, where if, if Theo Johnson doesn't you know extend up to grab it, you know that's probably a, a pick to the safety. You know, I, I think that there's a couple plays like that, um, you know, across the 
the course of a game. And I think it just speaks to you know, what Drew Aller, you know, what his priorities are in terms of protecting the football and then the playmakers um, that, that are around him. Um, you know, I did think that the Iowa defense played pretty well. Um, I think that it was almost attrition with them to a certain point, you know, where your offense isn't able to do anything. Um, you know, I thought that the game, the game script was kind of going against Penn state early, you know, Tory Taylor pins Penn state, you know, inside, I think inside the 10, they end up having the ball on, on third down on their own one yard line um, after a couple questionable calls. And, you know, you kind of thought that, oh, this is, you know, this field position battle is just going to wear them down. And that's going to be, you know, what, what is the difference? Because that's, I, I really think that was a really big factor two years ago in Iowa city um, that there were so many times where Penn state had to, you know, take the ball inside their 10, you know, we don't need to relive that with Taquan Roberson, um, you know, and the fact that they were able to kind of get out of that, the defense was a, a big factor in that, that Eric all fumble uh, was huge, I think in terms of momentum in the game. Um, but that really flipped the field position and took the offense out of, you know, some early adverse situations and allowed them to get into a rhythm, get moving. And that really paid off. Eric all who of course scored a backbreaking touchdown in a Michigan Wolverines uniform here a couple of years ago. Uh, that fumble really, that, that, that pretty much was it for Iowa's offense at that point. If he had not fumbled the football, they're looking at a first and goal inside the red zone or, or you know, or relatively early in the game. And all of a sudden four possessions later, they mustered four total yards from those possessions. And we just never really saw another spark uh, from Cade McNamara and company. Um, but with this team, uh, let's focus a little bit more. You mentioned the big night for the for the wide receiver room. Tyler Warren's up to four touchdowns all of a sudden. He's got four touchdowns in the last three games. Theo Johnson came alive, as you referenced, uh, going six catches, 42 yards. He made an NFL-type grab um, going up and, and getting that one. Like you said, if he doesn't, maybe that's in the breadbasket of an Iowa safety. That's early portion of the game. But it's Theo Johnson, and yeah, we talked about him being who he is for a reason. We're starting to see more of that with his opportunities. He had 33 yards after the catch to Theo Johnson as well. Uh, and then Khalil Dinkins, who we can, you know, heard really good things about all of August, you know, solidifying himself as the number three tight end. We wondered if one of those younger guys would be nipping at his heels, redshirt sophomore year. His father is a former NFL veteran tight end, so you like the, the bloodline there, but we weren't sure about him being a power five tight end when he got to campus. We're, we're getting more clarity there. Caught a, a touchdown today, and it wasn't just a, your standard touchdown. It was a fourth down play, and it was a bullet from Drew Aller, and it was well covered, and he got to get Dinkins credit. It ended up being his only target of the night, but that's one of those plays where because he makes that and Penn State separates itself – it felt like I was just flipping behind and it was getting late early in, in Beaver Stadium. Yeah, I think you saw the, you know, the margin going to 10 points and you're kind of like, OK, you know, Penn State might have them where they want it. And then as soon as you got to 17 points, mm -hmm. you could just feel, uh, you know, things slipping away uh, from Iowa. But, you know, that play that Khalil Dinkins made, you know, just a really, really nice catch, you know, in just a really, really big spot. I mean, if, if Penn State doesn't convert that fourth down, then it's, you know, why didn't you take the points? You know, the, it opens up all the questions. I also thought that it showed how confident James Franklin was in his defense uh, to go up against Iowa, Iowa's offense where they were, you know, fine with, with that risk right there. Um, but that was a, a really great play by Dinkins, you know, gives them that 10 to nothing lead. 
Um, I, I felt that anything more than two scores uh, against this Iowa team, they weren't going to be able to come back from it. Uh, and that really, really bore out um, as it went on. Uh, after the game tonight, I was going through some, I was thinking back to that 2021 game um, and I was going through some old text messages. And I think that you know, I referred to watching Spencer Petras play football as you know, watching late stage, like 2020 Carson Wentz um, mm. play football. Like I was there in Philly for that season and it was not fun football. Um, and that's what it felt like watching that Iowa team in 2021. And then you get to what we saw tonight and that was even worse than that. And I have not been able to think of how to describe that. Um, so it was just like a thing where if you could feel if Penn State could get to 17 points, I think that once we got in the game flow, that really felt like the magic number based on how the offense was playing and the defense. And they got there and it just you could feel kind of the the air come out of the balloon for Iowa. You're right. It's hard to describe what we saw from Iowa tonight. It, I mean, it's as if you saw. Uh, saw someone hand the keys to this offense to someone who had not earned that opportunity. And they went toe to toe with Manny Diaz and a talented defense and they got put in their place. And now they got to go back to Iowa city and, and they have a lot to sort through Brian Ferentz, who's on this uh, recalibrated plan to, to win back the fans in Iowa. This is not going to help that process. Uh, and it's getting dicey for them. But getting back to Penn State here, um, you mentioned the the, the dominance in, in some of those stats. I'm just going to reference a few more. Um, the time of possession tonight, 45 minutes for Penn State, under 15 minutes, actually, for Iowa on the evening. Iowa averaged 1.2 yards per rush attempt. Uh, it's it, You just go through some of this stuff. The total plays is probably what's the, the most astounding <laughs> thing here, though. 97 to 33. I mean, that's essentially tripling up a team, a Power 5 opponent, and a top 25 matchup. I mean, if you look at the score, you think, we're, is this Delaware-Penn State? This is a top 25 matchup where you had people picking Iowa, not just Iowa beat writers picking Iowa. And, and, and so this is really the kind of authority that you see from a team that goes to the college football playoff. I mean, when you go, when you review a team's journey to the college football playoff or to a national title or to a big 10 championship or an on-beaten regular season, you look back and, and you enjoy that journey again. This is part of that. It, 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 you beat down a team that was supposed to be a threat and to do it on the road against Illinois and to cover the spread. That's great but it's Illinois. I know they have the history, but it's Illinois. This is a proven track record of a history. It's been back and forth and haymakers landed and hearts broken on both sides of the fan bases. So to just absolutely see one, uh, one team just toss the other out of the moving car tonight and say, we got a season to get to good luck with your situation. That's what this was. It wasn't a boxing match. It, it, it was one team leaving another in the dust. And it just feels like, Look, Penn State has has earned this, but they get to kind of chill in this beautiful situation for themselves. I know D James Franklin doesn't want to hear anything about chilling or taking things for granted, but we can talk about it, okay? The players got to show up and they got to play th this football, but they've got Northwestern on the road this weekend, next weekend, I should say. And Northwestern, I know they came back and, and, and pulled off a big-time win against Minnesota today, but that is a bad situation right now. That should not be a, bad, a, a tough situation, a major challenge for Penn State. They go into a bye week. And then they come back and they have UMass for homecoming, Daniel. And, and, and then things get very serious beyond that. But you've got now a three-week window that you just bought yourself after a 31-0 win. I'll encourage everyone to go over and check out what recruits are saying about this and expect <laughs> Penn State 
to sell the hell out of this on the recruiting show for as long as they possibly can. Uh, but college football is going to get wacky. Teams are going to go down in bunches. Uh, we're going to see one-loss teams become two-loss teams and, and fall out of the college football playoff picture completely before mid-October. And meanwhile, Penn State is on the fast track toward reaching the second half of this regular season in a pole position of sorts. Yeah, I, I think when you looked at the schedule before the season, you looked at this two-week stretch that we just finished where you looked at the trip to Illinois and the home game against Iowa, you know, white out or not. You looked at these two games as being <clears throat> being potential tone setters or, or pivot points where, you know, if this team is this, you know, what we think it could be, they're going to be able to get through those games with, with relative ease. I, you know, no disrespect to Northwestern or UMass. I know that that Northwestern game, it's going to be an 11 a.m. kick, and that's going to have some people a little worried. Um, but, you know, things are set up very, very nicely to be 6-0 and going into Columbus uh, in October. I think that when you looked at, when you forecasted things out, you looked at that. that I mean, that's obviously the best case scenario. But I think the fact that the way that Penn State has gotten to this 4-0. and Exactly, you know, yeah. I think it would be one thing if it was uh, – you know, you eke out uh, a win at Illinois and then you, you know, beat, maybe you beat Iowa by like 10 or eight or, or 13 or something. And it, you're just kind of like, yeah, they, they got the win. But I think that the authority that they've showed, especially on the defensive side of the ball, um, I think that that really speaks to where this team is at right now. Um, you know, I think tonight it was just, you talk about that play count and just, how the disparity of it i mean if you told us that penn state was going to run 97 plays against iowa like if you told me that at like 10 a.m today i would have expected something really weird to happen and you end up in like a 45 41 type game like 97 plays feels like that's like mid 2010s big 12 you know in a in a shootout um, I, I bet you think Drew Aller throws for more than 166 yards. Too. <laughs> yeah, 100. percent So I, I think that they're they're winning these games in ways that are a little unorthodox, but they're the red flags aren't there like that you might see after you know some kind of weird wacky win. Like there's been nothing fluky so far. I think that Penn State has gotten some very fortunate bounces. I mean Riley Thompson punting the ball off the back of an <laughs> Iowa player. That'll that do. is yeah, yeah that's very fortuitous. But at the same time, like if you're going to compete for a Big Ten title, for a Big Ten East title, for a college football playoff spot, things got to break right. Like that's just there is an element of luck involved here. And whether or not that runs out when or if, you know, we'll get to that when it happens. But, you know, I think that Penn State has been very, very good so far. And they've also gotten some really, really fortunate bounces. And that's the formula. So, yeah, we'll see, you know, maybe we'll start to get those big plays against Northwestern, uh, you know, those big gains. But I, I think that Penn State has just been so impressive with just how thorough they've been. Um, and I think that's my, my biggest takeaway, I think, coming out of tonight. They haven't had to rely on luck. They haven't had to rely on yeah. bounces. Those things have, have maybe helped them along, but they ha there's... We haven't said, well, it's a good thing that happened because Penn State <laughs> yeah. would have been in trouble. And it, it's really impressive. Again, when you give up one sack in the first third of the season and, you, and you're, you know, you're not you know, getting, you know, 10 penalties a game and you're taking control of the ball where you're the only team in the entire country, everyone who plays at the FBS left, FBS level has found a way to fumble a ball away or throw the ball to the other team. 
Penn State hasn't, and we've already talked about the moving pieces that they have in place. But I think maybe alongside those couple of aspects about what impresses you most about this 4-0 start coming out of this matchup is the health. Because as far as we can tell, and and we don't quite know right after the game and who wakes up feeling how you know what hurts on Sunday morning and what that means, but what we do know is Harrison Wallace was back on the field today. He was a question mark for us. Now, he, he did he get as much run as we anticipate he will over the course of the season? Probably not. But he was back out there. He was deemed worthy and, and valuable to be out there playing wide receiver again. So he's an important piece of this offense, and he'll have bigger nights moving forward. The defense, as you can see, robustly deep. And at this point, I think, uh, Daniel, it's just uh, you can work your way down the, the two deep and there's just not an area where you say it's super impacted by injury. That's fortunate in some ways, but it also is a testament to the work that they've put in through the offseason and, and how they have put guys on the sideline when they can during this portion of the season. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get away from the offense, Daniel, I want to get to Keandre Lambert-Smith. 11 targets recorded uh, on the official stat sheet, eight catches for 66 yards, was slippery in some of those moments, came up with a nice catch, uh, showed off his ability there, a touchdown, 66 yards. Um, he's you know 65-plus yards through, uh, through the air now in five of his last six games. This is the kind of consistency that he had searched for in his career now. I think it's very clear that Drew Aller has the trust in him Still want to see. I think he fits in that component of the explosive plays. We saw it right off the right off the jump against West Virginia, going 72 yards. But file him and Nick Singleton and, and among the guys and Harrison Wallace. I would say that we know can go long distance. That we're just not seeing it right now. But I think Keandre Lambert Smith is, is starting to show up and 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 maybe not putting up monster numbers. But he is validating the trust of Drew Aller, which is going to buy him more opportunities. And what he told us all August and what he's told us for his entire career is he feels like when the opportunities come and when he's earned it, he's going to maximize it and look like a star. Uh, he's got he's still got some work to do, I think, in achieving star level status. But he has been the man at, at the forefront of this receiver group. There's no question about it. And I think he fit the bill today. Yeah, I've I've really liked what we've seen out of Keandre Lambert Smith. Um, you know, he did have a pretty costly penalty 
today, the the face mask on the personal foul. I mean, I think that's a that's a foul you don't normally see get called super often. Um, and I think that it's it doesn't fit into you know the what kind of the losing a composure penalty. Yeah, like we saw last week. That's a split Illinois. second trying to make a play. Yeah. And physics. That, yeah, I mean, it's it's you put tough. your arm out and the guy's face happens to be there. Um, but you know, I think that he has a lot of juice. You know, he's it's just when he has the ball in his hands, he does it does feel like he can go the distance um, at any time. Yeah, I would like to see some more deep shots to him. Um, you know, I think that that's something that is really missing. And I think that he is someone that, you know, you know, he can do it. We saw it in those last two games last year and, you know, even in that West Virginia game. So uh, we'll, we'll see kind of how that develops, but I, I think that he is the type of player that is, is really, really playing himself into the, you know, like that NFL conversation, that high level wide receiver combination, the consistency I think is there. And I think the fact that Drew Aller seems to really, really trust him, you know, to give him those 11 targets to keep going back to him. Um, I, I think that that's something that really showcases the, the development for him. Um, you know, especially where, you know, last year he lost two very, very reliable receivers in Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley, you know, neither of whom, you know, I think occasionally Parker Washington, you know, could really, really break one. But those were guys that was it was uh, very reliable possession receivers. Um, you know, Keandre Lambert Smith, we know can be a game breaker and that really does bring something different. And But to see him have this kind of game where he's a, a trusted option, I think it shows his growth, shows his development, shows his trust with Drew Aller. We'll have our snap counts piece up at lines 24-7 coming out of this game. But, but something I'm, I'm going to be curious about is just how – those were distributed among this wide receiver unit because Harrison Wallace didn't get the start. Dante Cephas got the start outside uh, along with Keandre Lambert Smith. Now Liam Clifford was announced as a starter as he has been in the past, but it was once again, the two tight ends officially being with that first team unit and Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson. They went on to have a big night. He had Clifford with two catches for 17 yards. Cephas had one catch for 11. And by the way, I thought he showed some really good burst on that 11 yard reception. I'd like to see more of Dante Cephas with the ball in his hands. The few times we have got a chance to get, glimpses at that lately I, I think he's done some good things and meanwhile Malik McLean took a big step back offensively today after 45 plus offensive snaps on the road to Illinois um, I don't know how much he played but I don't believe we saw him until pretty uh, pretty far into the second half at wide receiver Harrison Wallace is on the outside <clears throat> Omari Evans who we're still really waiting to see take the next step uh, and from a production standpoint um, and really get some some significant run out there. Um, so, again, a lot of questions. Um, but I, what do you what do you make of what we saw wider here tonight beyond Keandre Lambert Smith? Yeah, the Malik McLean uh, placement on the depth chart, I think, really stood out uh, in terms of, you know, in the fourth quarter, just kind of looking down there and being like, oh, yeah, there's there's number 11. You know, we did see him with the the top special teams coverage units. Um, you know, he has seemed to carve out a role there um, for Penn State. You know, we saw Omari Evans early for the first time this year, you know, in his first two appearances, you know, it wasn't until garbage time. So I think to see him get some run early, I think that that bodes well to where he's at. You know, he's someone too that, uh, you know, we know has you know, that game breaking speed. You know, he mm -hmm. has a trait that can really, really swing things for you. So as, you know, as he gets more, I guess, back into the swing of things with that top group, you know, what they can do, 
to get him the ball in space. And then I think Dante Cephas is kind of the the one that we're all sort of waiting for, you know, to see when does this click, when do they unlock him, and what does that look like? Uh, I think the fact that he got announced as a starter tonight, I think yeah. that's that took all of us by surprise a little bit. Um, I think that that shows what he's been doing behind the scenes, you know, where his arrow is pointed uh, in terms of his ability to make an impact on this team. I think that a lot of people thought they wouldn't have to wait until almost October to see an impact. And, you know, maybe we don't see that full impact till October, but it shows that he has been able to work his way into a position where, you know, James Franklin, Marcus Higgins, Mike Yersich are willing to say, you're going to be one of the first guys out there. You're starting. You know, we're going to put you in that spot. And Cephas, it's worth noting again, he's the only guy out of all the mix of all these different receivers we talked about. He did not get those 15 spring practices in with Marcus Higgins and with Drew Aller. He got here in May and, and he had to play catch up coming in from Kent State. So keep that in mind. Something to, to factor in here. And I just think, generally speaking, throwing Caden Saunders, who you know, we saw some oh, limited yes. snaps at wide receiver. We, we got a little adventurous today for him against an <laughs> All-American punter, uh, but he came out of it without without causing that first turnover of the season at the end of it. Um, but I think there, this room, when you look at this entire roster and what could happen in the next, you know, remaining eight regular season games and beyond, that's where the on-tap potential is. I mean, Omari Evans, great point. We thought he was the MVP of the blue-white game and really, by all accounts, hit the summer with a lot of momentum. And, you know, and then he ends up with the bumps and bruises category coming out of preseason camp and doesn't play in week one. And then Caden Saunders, we, we, we've addressed that quite a bit in the week leading up to this game, what he brings to the field with, with you know, just about sub 4-4 four, four speed himself. Uh, and and some electric uh, potential and it just you go down the list. Harrison Wallace, ten catches for ninety eight yards. That's not who he is. You know, he could be a four catch for a hundred and thirty yard kind of guy when he has the speed, the length. But I don't know. Maybe that's just not this offense, Daniel. I think at the end of the day, though, uh, this is where you could see. I know Nick Singleton. People are, are saying when when are we going to see like that that Nick Singleton from last year with all those long runs. That that that's not something that that is. I, I think that comes. I'm not really that concerned. To me, the concern is: do we do do we actually see that upswell of talent, you know, come to fruition this year in the receiver room, or do we end up getting to the end of the season and it's been kind of just a revolving audition, and no one really ended up stepping up to win that audition? There's nothing wrong with having an audition right now, four games into the season, with the first year position coach, with all these unproven guys. But I think when you're working your way into post bye week, post UMass on the road at Ohio State. I think you want to have a really strong vision of who's playing, how much they're playing, and how much you can trust them. And it's going to take some time to get to that point. I'd imagine against both Northwestern and UMass, there's going to be a lot of snaps distributed at this position again. And so you're going to have a really good sample size from one half of this season for Marcus Higgins to delve into. And then I'd expect we're going to see a lot fewer of these guys involved. And I think we're going to start to see snaps start to load up on fellas. I just can't point to anybody. It's it's a week to week thing, and I and and a, we only get our glimpses on Saturdays and Wednesdays. Uh, they see each other every day in that facility. Maybe they have a better sense, but between the bumps and bruises, as James Franklin calls them, and the kind of uh, uneven results uh, in game action outside of Keandre Lambert Smith, it's just one of those things where it could really raise the ceiling of this team, or maybe it just is what it is, and and that's kind of what the offense is. Uh, but Daniel, let's get the focus back over to defense and finish strong here uh, as we work our way into early Sunday morning. Uh, I just am so impressed, not just by the, the defensive results, 
but by the way they carry themselves in postgame. And if you're looking for any signs of an evolving identity with this 2023 Penn State Nittany Lions team, which again, six team captains gone from last year's squad, I was feeling it. I felt like I was around a different team. I felt like I was on a team that had kind of made its impression at this point. And it was because of what these defensive players were saying and because of what they were saying about 2021 and how they carried that in their hearts and with their helmets on Saturday. Yeah, you know, it that game two years ago in Iowa City, it, it came up during the week. You know, I think James Franklin was asked about it, I think specifically on Wednesday and gave kind of a, you know, a bit of a, a no comment on it or, you know, was was very like, you know, we're focused on the present now. Um, and then after the game today, we're talking to deny Dennis Sutton in the media room. And, you know, he made a comment about, you know, in terms of the, he was asked about what the ceiling of the defense is, you know, and, and he said that he doesn't know, um, but he felt like that they came out really, really prepared for this game. He said that James Franklin had hammered it. Um, you know, that's the word that he used, hammered uh, in it. And he felt like that they, you know, lived up to that expectation. Um, and so, you know, obviously the follow-up to that question is, you know, what does, you know, how does he hammer it? Uh, and Deny Dennis Sutton brought up the things from 2011, you know, special teams coordinator. 2021. 20, yeah. oof, it's getting late. 2021, <laughs> you know, LeVar Woods, the special teams coordinator, you know, falling on the sideline when Arnold Ebiketti was, you know, slow to get off the field or couldn't get off the field. Um, you know, Kirk Ferentz explaining the fan, the Iowa fans booing the Penn State injuries by saying that, you know, he thought that they smelled a rat. Um, apparently, these were talking points uh, within the, you know, within the Lash building this week in terms of preparation, um, that it was something that they drew on for motivation and that it gave them that little extra edge. You know, Deny Dennis Sutton did acknowledge the fact that, you know, you look at, you look for anything for motivation that you look, you try to take any slight, anything and use that for extra fuel to the fire, um, which you, know, you hear about it all the time, getting motivated by these guys getting motivated by just like the tiniest minor things. Obviously what happened in 2021 wasn't uh, that minor of a thing. You think about all the injuries that happened that day, how that game went, what happened after that game. That was a pivot point in the season. I think that that was a game where you you know, really felt the lingering effects in the last year when you talk about how Penn State was approaching things, you know, how that might have changed things when you talk about getting guys reps in different situations. We've seen that carry into this year. Um, so, you know, it got personal for Penn State against Iowa, and they were really able to deliver on that uh, on, on Saturday night. We got to talk about another defensive end, though, because Chop Robinson spilled the beans in a big way about a lot of this stuff as well. And he, for someone who was actually not on this roster in 2021, he was a Maryland freshman at the time. Um, he talked about how personal he took this. But the, I mean, denied on a sudden the P.J. Mustafer, I mean, and Devon Ellie's connection with McDonough. I mean, there is so much to go into because, I mean, there was a lot. This is, what, this is why I wanted to get this. It was as candid as I've ever heard a Penn State locker room about their motivations for the week. A lot of times, even when there is clearly something that you could be motivated by, we'll still get the one to know it's the Super Bowl every week kind of thing. And that's been hammered home for a long time by James Franklin. 
but you always kind of wonder if they would approach this game differently. And we all knew it was probably going to be the whiteout game, and and and, and there was going to be a big focus on this one. And I think Mark Brennan brought it up in the in the pregame podcast that we had on Thursday and said he just felt and sensed that Penn State truly was going to come out and be able to feed off that in a way that we could all sense upon. And you felt it, you saw it, and then you heard about it. Get into what shop Robinson because he was about as demonstrative in his feelings about about Iowa and, and what 2021 meant to this week as any player that we heard from. Yeah, so in the you know, Chop Robinson had another great game. He was in the he basically lived in the backfield, spent a lot of time around Cade McNamara. Um, it took him a while though to get Cade McNamara to the ground late in the third quarter. He has the strip sack off the edge. Um, he gets up. Adisa Isaac recovers the fumble. Chop Robinson is celebrating with Abdul Carter, uh, and they both flop onto the ground uh, <laughs> to celebrate. And after the game, uh, Deny Dennis Sutton said at first that you know that was an imitation of LeVar Woods, the Iowa special teams coordinator. You know what he did when Arnold Ebiketti was on the ground uh, in Iowa City, and Chop Robinson said, like, yeah, like that. That's what I was doing, and. You know, he got the idea for it when James Franklin was, you know, going over this, you know, uh, motivational material, I guess you could say, uh, for the week. And Chop Robinson decided, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to use that uh, when I make a big play. But, you know, he talked about, you know, for a guy who wasn't in that, you know, wasn't on that team, uh, he talked about that he has a relationship with Arnold Ebiketti. Um, I think that Ebiketti is someone who's been around the program you know, a decent amount since leaving. So Chop has been able to develop a relationship with there. Uh, he was obviously teammates with PJ Mustafer last year. Um, you know, both of them are also from Maryland. Uh, so there's a connection there. And he said that it just, you know, it, it made it personal, you know, to know those guys. You know, we know that that injury for PJ Mustafer that he had in Iowa City was, was pretty devastating. Um, and that it's something that, you know, changed the trajectory of his career. When you talk about, you know, he was probably going to be an NFL draft pick uh, after that season and goes undrafted. Um, But yeah, it was, you know, Chop Robinson has been pretty candid when we've talked to him about things like this. You know, last year after the Maryland game, there's a similar thing where he did a celebration that was directed, you know, at, at his former program. And, you know, he talked about that after the game. But, you know, I think that hearing from him um, about, you know, the fact that it was, you know, personal, that, um, you know, he knew these guys uh, and that he felt that they had been disrespected. And, you know, he, you know, felt like that Penn State is a program that shouldn't be disrespected. They should be treated with respect. And that was his way of showing it. Yeah, and I'll I'll give Dennis uh, Sutton the, the final word here in, in some way. Uh, here's the quote in, from your story, Daniel, and, and you, you have the story up at lines247.com. I'd encourage everyone to, to read this. There's a lot of voices in here. Uh, a couple of the offensive players weighed in as well, but a lot of uh, attention on the defense because of what they did. Uh, here's what Dennis Sutton said. Quote, I was watching the game when PJ got hurt. They were booing. We went to the same high school, and that hurt me, man. I was like, bro, they're really booing my brother. 
And then Devon went down. And then that game just went to shambles. We could have won that game, but we didn't. It hurt me. I don't think any team should be booing when any players go down. I feel as though that's very disrespectful to the players, and that's not something that we do at Penn State. And you all saw the gif going around about some of that uh, Iowa fan reaction that occurred that night in Iowa City. And you don't like to, to, to paint with a broad brush and, and say all oh, Iowa fans were guilty, but it did get out of hand last that, that night. And it, and it was bothersome as, as someone who just – Roots for young men, you know, who, who you know, it, regardless of, of what team you're supporting, these guys are out there giving their all and, and no one wants to be slumping over to the sidelines. And we all knew, I think, when you know, we covered PJ Mustaver, and that's the one that really bothered a lot of us because PJ Mustaver doesn't didn't leave the field and he was a, 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 a team captain. And so I, I think you, you can understand if we, if me and the media were kind of rubbed the wrong way by that, how would they feel? They had to get on a plane you know, lick up their wounds. They never really recovered. As you said, they spiraled out. So I think it's great to see them beat their chest after this. I think it's great to be, for them to say, yeah, we were pissed off. And you know what? We made them feel it because they did. They went out there and they held Iowa to four first downs, four first downs, less than 80 total yards. They dominated. Again, they, it was an absolute bully in the playground situation, and they did it the right way. They didn't do it without class. I thought they there was nothing excessive after the plays. Nothing like that, so I'll give them credit. But I like this version of uh, of this Penn State team. It, it, I, I appreciate that they you know, came out and said, this is how we were feeling. You know why we felt this way. And we wanted to go out and show it because we're a team that's capable of doing that. And I think if Penn State can own that, and, and maybe their identity does evolve a little bit beyond that, every game's in a vacuum, every game's 1-0, I want to see this team maybe take on – we have a journey this year. And, and there's stepping stones. And I know James Franklin wants that 1-0 mantra, but apparently he was okay with diverting the plan a little bit. Maybe we wouldn't have known at what scope if, if these defensive ends didn't conduct great interviews with us after the game. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I appreciate what James Franklin did this week. And I bet behind the scenes, the conversations that went on between the staff away from the players – there was a lot of emotion involved and I bet the celebration that's occurring right now and the celebration that will continue tomorrow when they get into the film room and really dissect this one and give each other high fives and hoot and holler a little bit. It's It's going to be cathartic and they exercise some demons and they're four. No, I, I think that this also really speaks to the, the culture that you have on the, especially on that defensive side of the ball. And you talk about these guys that, you know, you know chop Robinson never played with Arnold Evacchetti uh, you know, deny Dennis Sutton overlaps. Chop and both Chop and Deny only overlap with PJ, PJ Mustafer for one year. You know, and like we said, they weren't there in 2021. But the fact that they want to pick up um, for you know that kind of guy who you know isn't in the team anymore, they weren't around for him for a long time, but they want to you know play for him um, and and do something for him. You know, deny Dennis Sutton said that he and Devon Ali's, who also went to McDonough. They FaceTimed with PJ Mustafer uh, right before uh, Dennis Sutton came into the uh, into the media room, and you know someone asked, you know, like, "Oh, what were you guys talking about?" And and then I said, "Oh, just when we're going to be able to get dinner again sometime." But then he acknowledged that uh, you know they were excited to. I think he called it a get back, uh, a get for, back for him for yeah. for PJ. Um, so you know, I think that that shows that you know it, it's a peek into. A look beyond the one and no vacuum, um, you know, and it does show that you know, as much as they want to make every week, you know, its own Super Bowl, its own thing, there are extenuating circumstances, and I think that it also shows uh, a really good coaching job 
you know, that you're able to divert from that one to no mentality a little bit, you know, bring in some external, you know, noise. You know, yeah. that was a ton of noise after that game. And when, you know, anytime you talk about that game, it's a very emotionally charged thing. And the fact that you were able to channel that um, and get this result, you know, while using that tactic, I think that that's a great coaching job, you know, from just managing people and managing culture. So, you know, I think that there's, you talk about on-field performance, you know, by the players. I think the, you know, the coaching performance tonight was also very good, but just managing the intangibles. Um, I think that Penn State did a really, really good job in that. That's obviously a button that you can't push every week. You know, I, I don't think that they're really going to be saying that, you know, oh, we, we only beat Northwestern 17 to 7 last year. We need to, you know, we need to run it up on them. Um, but I think that pushing this button at this point, it worked. Um, and that's another kind of, you know, you know, tool that you can pick up on when you need it. Yeah. And we've, we said before, this coaching staff is just hitting the right button psychologically. It feels like with this roster, there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of egos uh, and there's, and in modern day college football, there's a lot of ch opportunities for relationships to fall out and go sour. It just feels like this team's in a good place uh, uh, going you know, through a month of this football season. Uh, Daniel, we'll have a lot to talk about uh, in the upcoming week. We got Northwestern uh, matchup, but we'll have a lot of big picture conversation because these two games, when you look at it, you talked about it before, these were a litmus test type of stretch. That's kind of how we would view Penn State's remainder of the season was how they get through these couple games. Now that you're through it, they're 4-0. They were not just normal wins. They they did this against an Iowa team that that stung them very hard in 2021. They did it against an Illinois team that's, that stung them very hard in 2021. Those were heartbreaking losses. And I think what people were curious about going into this year is – would Penn State be building off of 2022 when they won the Rose Bowl and finished with such a high note? Or would they be reversing course and maybe trending back toward a seven or eight or nine win kind of a thing? And right now, the early returns are pointing us toward this team is building back towards double digit and then some kind of results. Uh, so I think that's very good to see. But the big thing is the red flags just aren't there. I mean, you could probably point to the kicking game still. Alex Falcons uh, ha had a great conversion from, I think, 45, 46 tonight and then missed from 43. You want to see some more consistency from the, the special teams, I think, in general. But right now, uh, Daniel, uh, really buttoned up 4-0. And tonight uh, they played bully ball. They, they, they had a long sustained drives. Was it five possessions that went 10 plus? They, it's really just running out of descriptions, running out of time, running out of uh, brain function at four o'clock in the morning. So we'll call it a night. Anything else to add before we say farewell? No, I, I just had to stifle a pretty big yawn. So I, I think that that's <laughs> the uh, I think that's the cue from uh, our, yes. our internal producers. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Well, thanks to everyone for following along. Uh, if you're che checking in with us early on a Sunday or for whatever reason, still up from, from the game last night and you're catching this when it's freshly released, we appreciate all of you. Uh, four more episodes coming your way between Monday and our post-game podcast after the Northwestern matchup. Again, Penn State wins 31 to nothing. On behalf of Daniel and myself, encouraging everybody to go to lines247.com right now and go check out everything we have coming out of this matchup. All the team coverage you come to expect, report cards, snap counts, rewind, but a ton of recruiting. 
I mean, it's going to be a ridiculous amount of recruiting content. Steve Wolfong already has a big story up, a uh, director of recruiting for 24-7 Sports. Brian Doan will weigh in. Uh, Tyler Cavaruso, I already took a peek. He has like six stories <laughs> scheduled to publish between now and 10 a.m. So it is a recruiting extravaganza going on in between all of the news on this 4-0 Nittany Lions football team. Daniel, uh, good work. Thanks again for, for lasting with me uh, this far along into the night. Uh, we'll talk with folks again real soon. Stepping aside for now, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.